Welcome to the Innovation Overground, the front porch of academic innovation, where we find the coolest university technologies so you don't have to. We want to serve up solutions to some of those big problems so we could hopefully give them the oxygen they need to become actual things. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. I'm joined by Tyler Scher, PhD in Science Wizard. How's it going, Tyler? Hey, you know, pretty good. How you doing, Charlie? Not bad. Getting sick of my own walls, though. Uh, also yeah. with us is Joe Rungi, Dr. Law Dog, an entrepreneur werewolf. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Wait, where are you guys? <laughs> Somewhere else, it turns out. Where oh my gosh, we're really like, doing this over the internet from our own home? Yes. Man, that's the it, world right now, isn't it? It is lockdown style at Innovation Overground. Yes, you can really tell the difference. Uh, usually, I, I'm going to give a shout out now to our sponsors. Um, one of our sponsors, but our, one of our supporters would be KBNO Studios at University of Nebraska at Omaha, their radio station there. And um, so you can tell this is what we really sound like without their help. They you know, I got to say, work. when I'm in the studio with you guys, I spend a lot of time wishing I was on my own. I will never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to add, Joe? Uh, uh, just uh, please take a moment to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Please leave a review. Uh, clearly, we need all the help we can get recording from our kitchens and basements and whatnot, and we would love your assistance in doing that. Yes, the more, the more you can help us spread the word, the more help we can, we can give to some of these academic technologies, especially in a world of the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I, I think it's time we went over some of that stuff. We've been kind of ignoring it the last couple of weeks. Um, but there have been some pretty cool things and there's been a lot of cool stuff actually, um, kind of reassuring and kind of makes me feel a little bit better about the world as, as much work as is being done on this thing in such short order. Um, but I think I, we can focus a little bit on, on just what's going on in Nebraska and then we could look outside and maybe a future episode, but I want to kind of look at Nebraska stuff first, you know, I mean, there's some stuff that's kind of not really, you know, available for licensing, like. Some pretty cool stuff. They developed an approach to, you know, um, sanitizing PPE, protective personal protective equipment with the ultraviolet light. I think they've shared those techniques uh, far and wide. I know UNMC um, has done a was deeply involved in a rem, how do you say that word, Tyler? Remdesivir. Remdesivir. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there was a clinical trial there. And can you tell us a little bit about the results? Just came out the other day. Um, yeah. Some preliminary results, right, Tyler? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Yes, yeah, so this is a, a very rigorous, um, and it, you know, it, it was the the initial. There's been other remdesivir trials. This was the the first one that was started again because uh, in the U.S., um, you know, UNMC Biocontainment here in Omaha had access to the first uh, patients. So they, they they were they were repatriated and brought here first, right? So They're from that uh, the, the cruise ship, right? Yeah. Yep. And it, when, in, in what seems like six months ago, and was really probably like six weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, this study that, that we spearheaded here, um, and Dr. Khalil was, was the lead, uh, had over a thousand patients. It was multi-site. I mean, there were even some patients overseas in other countries too that, 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 that all participated. And, you know, it looked, it looks encouraging. So it, it needs more, more work, but but at least initially, it looks like uh, patients who were on remdesivir um, recovered thirty about thirty percent faster than those who weren't on it. And um, and you know from what I recall, Dr. Khalil saying about it, uh, it um, in terms of 
mortality rates. It, it was trending. It, it trended optimistically. It looks like it helps with mortality, but it, it still doesn't have, it's not a large enough study yet to be able to say that definitively. How long, how long do you think before they'll have enough results before they can say anything with, with any real confidence? In, in terms of mortality? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so that's sort of a, you know, it's, it's the double-edged sword. We'd, we'd rather not have that many people die oh, yeah. to be able to say something confidently. Um, but, uh, um, you know, maybe by the end of the summer, unfortunately, uh, and, and or fortunately, uh, that they may have a little more confidence there. Okay. Hey, Tyler, right. is, Redendezibine, is that the repurposed drug that was originally developed for um, uh, Ebola? Yeah, it's correct. Yeah, this is a, a Gilead drug. Um, yep, it was originally created for Ebola. It did not, uh, it wasn't shown to be effective in treating Ebola. Um, but they, you know, uh, Gilead ran it against a panel of other viruses, and they happened to have some coronaviruses, you know, on hand. It's, it's a fairly regular type of, of a virus. And it did look really good against coronaviruses. So that's why when, when, when this pandemic happened, that's, it's my understanding that that's why they immediately uh, thought to, to, to start testing this. So it's really interesting how, you know, there's a lot of repurposing of drugs originally developed for other projects. Um, I don't know, that, that's one thing that kind of caught my interest, at least about the story, that, you know, it was actually not um, shown to be clinically relevant for people with Ebola, and yet kind of that same mechanism is efficacious against uh, this coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, something else they've done at UNMC, and again, this isn't really, I mean, I don't know how much time we need to spend on this one because it's, it's been out there for a little bit. There's a, 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 an intubation shield or box. It lays flat, um, and, you know, that's, I guess when you're when you're intubating a patient, you know, they, they tend to cough and things like that, and so they can spray the, um, the virus far and wide throughout the room, and so it's just one more protection, a layer of protection then for, you know, the caregivers in the room and the cool thing about this box is it's you know it's stamped out it's done by a local company and it kind of folds together almost like a almost like a chinese takeout box it kind of folds together and it's very lightweight easily to move around i thought that was a pretty cool little deal um and i can put a link to, to that if you want to see that on the website but i think let's i'd like to get into stuff that's a little less a uh, little less well known um like what's going on with the there's some face shields going out there tyler that, um, is that, are those coming from Lincoln or are those in town as well? Yeah. The answer so, is both. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll, let, I'll let Joe discuss those. All right. Joe? Yeah, so uh, Nebraska, like uh, many places, uh, there's been uh, an issue of supply chain in medical products, uh, you know, long, long supply chains generally to get uh, personal protective equipment to hospitals in the United States. So to fill that gap, there has been a lot of local producers and their stories from all around the country. I think you talk about some of the positive things from COVID-19 um, and innovation is certainly one of them, but I also think innovation and production is one of them. You're seeing repurposing of different types of facilities, uh, even parts of the economy. Companies that were making t-shirts with logos a couple months ago are now making logo face masks, uh, which mm -hmm. is, I think, kind of interesting. Uh, but along those lines, uh, both the uh, sort of advanced prototyping facility at Metro Community College, who's a partner of, of my institute in the um, uh, medical technology pipeline project we're engaged in, 
um, as well as the Makerspace uh, down in UNL. Is that what it's called? Tyler, I never get that right with Dr. Farrader's playing together. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's on Innovation Campus. Um, yeah, I don't, remember, I don't recall if he calls it the Makerspace or not. Actually, I think it's called the Innovator Ferraturorama. Isn't that right? <laughs> it could be. Or no, it's Ferratron. I'm sorry, it's the Ferratron. Um, the Ferratron is uh, cranking out all kinds of stuff. They're actually producing hand sanitizer on campus over at Lincoln, too. They're, oh, they're growing up. Uh, Colonel Ryan Anderson's down-home favorites, uh, fried chicken scented uh, hand sanitizer, which is uh, a huge hit. Uh, but all joking aside, uh, it has been really cool to see what is ostensibly industrial research facilities really leveraging you know, their existing resources to be able to more effectively produce the things that hospitals and, and other people need. Um, we're really glad to be part of that. The thing that's also really interesting, though, is once you get people manufacturing face shields, you get clever engineers and clinicians going, huh, wouldn't it be better if it did this? And so one of the things that we're fielding are a lot of uh, fairly clever innovations for the whole process of, you know, it's the things that are just kind of annoying when you have to do them once in a blue moon or, or outright terrible if you got to do them constantly. And so as you have people living in PPE for entire shifts, as you have you know, extended and accelerated uh, need for diagnosis, you're getting uh, improved ways of, of the simple things, getting specimens. That's a huge problem. I mean, I, I didn't know this, but apparently there are lots of Instagram posts where people talk about what it's like to be swabbed for uh, getting the flu. And I, it's horrible. I mean, it really is. And I think it's, it's just a sense of why is it like that? Why haven't we found a better way? And when it happens, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times a day, then um, that impulse becomes more pressing. Yeah, yeah. Talk about the, um, the things you don't have to do very often. Like one of the things that Tyler, but you could probably speak to this one, the technology about, you know, how, if you've got, you know, the, there's that face shield. So it, the, I guess face is that the right word? The face shield, where they basically repurposed a, a mask, like a breathing mask. They put it upside down. They put like a vacuum tube on there, and then there's also a new housing for viral filter. I guess in normal circumstances, those virus filters that you fit onto a, a breathing tube are yeah, you, they're disposable. You throw it away. It's not a big deal. But now there's potential shortages there too. And so a local company here has basically volunteered to take a hit on producing those to be disposable, right? Yeah, that's correct, Charlie. Yeah, so so that's, uh, the, the infectious aerosol capture mask, I think is what you're describing. Yes, yes, yeah, thank and, you, yeah. I mean, just, so, it so, just rolls right off the tongue. I wonder why I couldn't think of the name of it. <laughs> so, so as is the case with the face shields and the magnetic face shields and the intubation shields, I mean, these a lot of these innovations are springing up around ways to better protect our, 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 our uh, first responders, our, our clinicians. Um, so, I mean, there's a growing appreciation for just how many um, people uh, who, 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 need, who need other regular procedures done, um, you know, other surgeries, elective surgeries um, done in the hospital as we open back up, um, who, who may be asymptomatic and just shedding viral particles. And we want to make sure that we, that we don't, um, that, that, that our first responders who are doing this, this excellent work and, you know, putting their lives on the line are, are as safe as possible. So all of these things um, are all, all kind of have that common theme to them. 
Um, and yeah, this infectious aerosol capture mask is again, if someone would need to be intubated or would need to be on oxygen, um, th th this was, as you mentioned, it was a, it was, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a mask that's, uh, the, the mask part of it's repurposed. It was originally for, um, breathing in and now it's being used for, for exhalation or expiration. And, uh, we had two anesthesiologists here, doctors, uh, Stephen Lisko and, and Nick Markin in, in collaboration with, with local companies, uh, teeth on 3d, as well as Omaha custom manufacturing. Now is going to be making these, as you mentioned, you know, probably a little bit of a hit initially at least. Um, uh, uh and so th this is, it's a really cool device. We have uh, military interested in being able to use it as well. And we're trying to work out all those details. So it's, um, just, uh, just, just another, another tool in the toolbox to try to protect our, our, uh, um, clinicians. That's pretty cool. If, um, <clears throat> if we had to look at, um, well, wait, Joe, there's a, there's a technology that's out there too. Isn't there some kind of, some kind of app that that's somehow involved? Do you know about that? Yeah. Joe? Okay. Yeah. One of the things I think is really interesting about, um, this pandemic as opposed to kind of earlier ones, is that this has really hit after several generations of um, localized manufacturing. So this is kind of a post-3D printing, you know, post-app development. So it's uh, much quicker now to iterate and improve and, and sort of make products at scale that are relevant for this particular uh, problems that come up with uh, COVID-19 and, and this particular pandemic. And so I think, um, you know, the face mask that, that Tyler was talking about, you know, Dr. Markin has been working for years refining his 3D printing chops. And so his ability to very quickly see what the issue is, to model it, produce it, and iterate on that till it works, you know, that's new, right? I mean, in past, like, that same cycle would have occurred, but it would have required a team of people and a lot of FedExing, you know, parts around and stuff like that. And I think um, a nice companion to that is what the University of Nebraska Medical Center did with um, this COVID-19 screener app. So I'll include a link to it. It's available right now um, in the app store. But this app basically started on a whiteboard. I've got this um, horrifically cattywampus picture of all these ER nurses and doctors, you know, writing their algorithm to figure out if, if you have COVID-19. And it's pretty simple. You just answer some questions about your symptoms and then based on that, it, the app sort of directs you to figure out if you uh, really do need to seek medical care or, or if not. And the goal is, you know, for people who don't have to go into the ER, you, you want to keep them out because it's a dangerous place in a, in a pandemic. And people that do need to go, you want to get them there directly if possible. You want them to come knowing that they're, uh, <laughs> knowing that they're likely to, to get an infection. And so... Um, having that information ahead of time is, is really important. The thing that's really cool is that project was done in collaboration with a couple of very large companies, but it was largely done by students. It was done by a group wow. of students at University of Nebraska Omaha. Uh, they did get a lot of assistance in producing it, but this project went almost entirely within Nebraska from a whiteboard full of messy algorithms all the way over to uh, developing into a launchable, scalable app which is pretty neat. That's pretty cool. Is that the, yeah. di is that the diagnostic then? Or is, the di is there, there's a diagnostic that's also uh, out of UNMC too, right? Is that the same thing or is that different? 
So the app is a screener. And so the difference is it's not meant to determine if you have COVID-19. It's more meant to determine if you're at sufficient risk. Oh, it's worth almost like a triage that. thing then? That's a good way to think of it. Yeah, it's essentially a, a triage uh, platform for okay. you in the comfort okay. of your own basement recording a podcast to decide if your next okay. step should be to the ER or not. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah so in, in regards to diagnostics, we do have two technologies I'll just touch on briefly. I mean, one, one first is actually collecting the, the specimen, so those, those uh, nasal um, pharyngeal swabs, the, 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 the swabs. Uh, I mean, those are, you know, the supply chain, this is this, this whole pandemic has, 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 um, highlighted, you know, several weak points in our, in, in, in our, uh, supply chains here in America for reagents and for this common, um, utensils needed within hospital systems. And one of them was, is, is, is nasal swabs. So, I mean, I was just talking to, um, someone involved with, uh, um, purchasing these things for the university, and 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 uh, you know, it turns out a lot of these swabs are 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 manufactured in Italy, and and Italy has been hit as you as everyone knows about as hard as anywhere else in the world with 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 uh, COVID, right? So, so a lot of our uh, hospitals in the U.S. are having a hard time getting these swabs right now, and again, as Joe alluded to, with with the advent of 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 three uh, D printers now just being so so. Yeah. Uh, Hang on, Tyler. I'm sorry, I, but I'm, yeah. I'm curious. I mean, you're a swab. We're talking about Q-tip, right? Yeah, it's basically just a Q-tip. It really, it's, it's a longer hey, Tyler. Q-tip. Yeah. I'm curious, yeah. too. Are they produced in Italy because they have better refined semolina flour? I, I, do, I have no clue. I mean, all of this it's stuff. It's the aqueducts, you know, man. They got better water. It's the aqueducts. I mean, it's, so, so it, it's, it's BD who These makes... These are artisanal swabs. <laughs> <laughs> it's it BD who makes who makes these kits, and it, the the kit will have a swab. It also have the uh, collection tube and and some of the uh, viral preservation um, reagents as well. It all comes in the kits, and okay. for whatever reason, j just the uh, mercurial nature of the free market, right? BD for whatever reason determined it was cheaper to make the the swab component in Italy, I guess, which is you know. And then those swabs you know, when Caesar crossed the Rubicon, <laughs> he created the first swab factory. So. Yeah, a really. <laughs> on on this day in history, the Gauls were um, <laughs> completely freaked out by that. <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, you know, to uh, get to the point, so we had a a um, pathologist, d d uh, Dr. Jesse Cox here at the Med Center, who who just came up with a, a de novo three D printed design for a swab, and it's been tested, and it, it actually performs as well. Um, then as, 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 as the commercially available swabs and, um, I, and, and those are, 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 we're, we're in the process of getting, hopefully getting those injection molded now too, as, as states in the Midwest, especially start to really ramp up their, their testing. And the other thing too, is not just in the short term, but long term, as we talk about, um, making sure that our, our caregivers, our, our, our caregivers, I should say, are protected. Um, it's going to be, I've, I'm hearing it's going to be pretty standard for anyone going in for an operation who needs to be intubated or, 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 or on um, anesthesia, uh, that, that they would be swab tested a day before and then have that test read. And if, and, you know, as, as long as they're negative, that, then they would be allowed to come in and do their, their, their operation, right? So for, for, for all those um, elective surgeries, this will be, it'll be critical. The other thing I do, I want to jump on that, that diagnostic too, unless you have another question, Charlie, about the do you swab. Have one quick question about the swab. I don't know how you print a Q-tip. I mean, it's got, where, do, you, do you have to apply what? 
the, 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 the absorbent material or whatever it is, the, the, the business end of it, if you will. Yeah, so all of this is going to be hard plastic, and it sounds bad. I mean, so yeah. the, the, the cool part is now with, you know, 3D printing has been out there long enough that there's been, that there's been innovation in, in, in the uh, source materials too. So this plastic it's being printed on is PETG. It's, it's an FDA-approved food-grade plastic. Um, it, it, has, it has the right mechanical properties to not, not break off in someone's nose. It's, it's flexible but also strong enough. Things are actually printed at, at a smaller diameter with sort of a uh, – um, I'm tell, it, tell, it, tell it when I yeah. interrupt. Yeah. I want to, sorry to interrupt, but you cut out there for a second. I want to make sure we didn't miss anything. You said it's oh, flexible sorry. enough so it doesn't break off. And then what happened after that? Yeah, it's flexible and sturdy. So it, so it, it can navigate the nasal passage without breaking. And then it has these little kind of uh, um, pockets on the end. Um, so so huh. that it's actually able to collect sample without needing um, any softer material, any cottony material. So. Um, and and our, I've talked to a few pathologists who, who tested it out on themselves first here at the med center, and, and, and they said it's actually more comfortable, or at least not any, any worse, than, than, than the, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, cottony padded swabs. So That's incredible. That explains why I keep hearing you haven't lived until you've swabbed yourself with the 3D printed swab. <laughs> yes, that would be, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's really interesting. All right, so you want to talk about that diagnostic? You get sorry to yeah. derail you there. No, no problem. Yeah, I appreciate the the uh, question there. Um, yeah, so the diagnostic. This was something that came out of our biocontainment um, and and the uh, clinical pathology lab. This is uh, Dr. James Lawler and uh, Yana Broadhurst, and um, I mean, this is just you know. Uh, Again, partly because we, we had some of the first patients available to us um, here at, at the med center, these, these um, clinicians and researchers improved upon the, the uh, CDC uh, diagnostics. This is a real-time reverse transcription PCR assay. It's, you know, there, there's, there's dozens of them out there now. Um, we, we feel that ours performs as well or better than any of the other ones on the market. Um, and, uh, and it's largely because our researchers, you know, very rigorously tested all of the, all the various combinations of known, um, uh, primer probe sequences and, and have come up with, you know, the, the best combination. And then they, they also tested out the, the, uh, procedure using various pieces of equipment and various types of, of, of reagents that, 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 that are available and found sort of the sweet spot, the best combination, if you will. So these, these tests are, you know, sort of like, um, uh, you know, baking. If you have a, a recipe, it, it, it can depend your, your final, your final cake or pie or cheesecake, whatever you're baking. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm into sweets right now. <laughs> um, largely depends on, you know, on, on timing and on, 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 on the quality of the ingredients, but also on what kind of oven you're using, right? So all of that can change a little bit. And our researchers have, have sort of optimized all of those moving parts to come up with what, they, what we feel like is, is as good or better than any other diagnostic out there right now. Really? How, how soon is, I mean, are people using it right now? Or is this still in work, still under progress, still under development? Yeah, so I believe we we're, we may be using it to some extent um, uh, at the med center, um, and and otherwise we're just looking for for manufacturing partners right now to get this really out there in mass. Um, yeah, how long does it take to get results? 
So this is just like any of the other RT-PCR assays. I mean, it's not as it's it's not the uh, it's it's not as fast as the like you know your your immediate fifteen minute response, but it, it has it's 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 more robust. It's more accurate than those. So okay. Um. I, so the, this is probably you'd probably get a result next day on this. Honestly, it might be if you did it in the morning, you might have a result by the evening. Okay. Um. But you know, yeah. Isn't capacity an issue with testing though? Yeah, that that's part of it too. Um, and we, you know, that, that that so that depends on largely on on if you have the equipment. I mean, our federal government has has really um, rolled back on some of those restrictions on who can perform the tests. So, I mean, there's a number of labs that could be doing tests, but they just don't have the the, the necessary tools to be able to actually do it. Um, so, you were you know, as as we as we uh, understand all, all the stress all the stressors all, all the bottlenecks in the system better we're, we're moving forward and and i think um i expect our our testing will be ramped up significantly um over the next month and you know i, I was hopeful that we would already be there and but but the more i, I keep talking to people on both sides of this with, within the, the hospital systems and 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 companies who are manufacturing um I, I i just get a deeper appreciation for how complicated it really is to line everything up and, and, and to navigate all, all these supply chain bottlenecks, especially with everyone else in the world also wanting these tests at the same time, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'm just, you know, we're, we're running, we're running a little bit longer than we usually do. And we could probably go on for another hours, hours we could go on. We haven't even got outside Nebraska yet. So let's yeah. come to ground on this one and we'll come back again um, in, in, in the next episode. Maybe we'll a couple more episodes here. We'll, we'll continue on this path. So I think there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. Yes, great idea. Great. Uh, please take a moment to look at the show notes. We will include links to all of the awesome stuff going on at the University of Nebraska and University of Nebraska Medical Center related to COVID-19. Yes, I also uh, would like to thank our sponsors, Unimed, the Technology Transfer and Commercialization Office for the University of Nebraska and uh, at least in Omaha for uh, the Med Center and UNO. I also want to thank KVNO Recording Studios, which usually would uh, be gracious enough to let us use their facilities. They can't. I'm sure they would anyway, though, but I still want to give them a thank you. So for Tyler Share, Joe Runge, I'm Charlie Litton saying thank you, and please join us again every Monday on Unimed's Innovation Overground.